This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 8th, episode 2033. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself. Well, welcome to the endurance episode here that we do the second Tuesday of every month with Karen Chatton, one of the longest long distance riders in the country. And this is the first episode since endurance became the most controversial sport in the horse world. (laughs) Who would have thought I'd ever be saying that, endurance? I know. (laughs) Karen, you've been riding endurance for, what, 20, 30 years? Long time. Yes. Did you ever think you'd see the day when endurance gate was the big thing at WAG? I know. We couldn't even... You can't make this stuff up. I mean, we say that all the time. And having been there myself and seeing it, Jennifer and I were there and watched it, and I was down there watching the talking to the people that were waiting and the whole thing. It was just surreal. It was just, it was kind of like, it was kind of like a, a, like a cartoon. <laughs> yes, it kind of was. You know, and I had friends that were there that have been in the sport longer than I have. And they said this was like the worst managed endurance event that they had ever been to in their whole lives. All right. We're going to talk about that and and some of the fallout from that. We're going to lead away with that. But Jennifer, we also have more to talk about today and some fun guests. Jennifer's going to tell us about that. In addition to the latest from Endurance Gate, we've got Karen's post-ride recovery for riders tip. And then we're going to move along and we're going to have a chat with Claire Godwin about her old Dominion ride. And then wrapping things up, Holly Corcoran's going to stop by and talk about the Biltmore ride. One of my favorites. I've never been there, but I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jennifer. And uh, so, all right. So I don't think we have to go over all the details of what happened at WAG. We've done that quite a bit on the show here and, also on different shows on the network, and also on the WEG show, we covered it extensively. Uh-huh. Now, I did, we did do a special episode with Heather during WEG, Heather Reynolds, one of the top FEI riders in the country, her and her husband, and it was ended up being the most downloaded episode we did of the 2018 <laughs> WEG show. So, um, Go, Heather! <laughs> so I told Heather that this morning. I said, you can be proud. Your episode is the most downloaded. But we did it, I think, right, what, a day or two after? after uh, Endurance Gate. And, you know, mm-hmm. what a way to start out, Wag, was with <laughs> with a disaster in, in Endurance. And then Everything going wrong yeah, that could. <laughs> yeah. 
So, all right. So they're still doing the investigation about and what the FBI is still doing the investigation about what happened. To be honest, I don't think we're going to. This is me speaking. I'm not speaking for anybody but me. I do not think we're going to get the whole story of what really happened. I don't think the FBI will put that out. That's my opinion. Uh, I I don't know how you feel, but I I don't think we're going to get the real truth because I don't think anybody wants to uh, talk about what the real truth was. So, <laughs> however, the AERC, which is the Amer- American Endurance Ride Conference, who sponsored the show for a while, doesn't anymore, but did for a while, uh, ha- you know, they came out with a letter that they sent to the USEF. And probably, you know, I want to go through this with you, Karen, and get your opinion. By the way, all of what we're talking about today is our opinions. I am not an endurance rider, but I've been around this industry now and doing these shows on all different disciplines for about 10 years, 7,000 episodes. And we have seen a lot of things in the horse world. We cover a little (laughs) bit of everything in the horse world. So I've seen, you know, the bad and the good in every discipline. Every discipline has, has the bad. Every discipline has the good. So, you know, this happens across the board. So I'm not speaking as an endurance. I'm speaking endurance rider. I'm speaking as an observer of things that happened in this industry. You're speaking as an endurance rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, not FEI. Let's qualify that, too. You're not an right, FEI right. endurance rider. And you never wanted to do that. No, not not really. Be, because it's changed so much from its roots with AERC and the type of endurance riding that we do here versus what FEI has turned it into and maybe not be so much what FEI has done as in certain countries have changed it into more of a kind of a flat track type racing. Okay, explain, I mean, it, explain that because that's going to come up in the letter I'm going to read pieces of here. Right. Well, what they do in some of the countries in the Middle East, because they don't have the terrain and the mountains and the technical difficulty on the trails like we do here and what we're used to, we're used to riding in that, in those kinds of, um, you know, conditions with all different kinds of weather, whereas they tend to have more of a flatter you know, um, it's the desert trail. It's <laughs> yes, the desert. Right. And then of course they've turned it into, um, you know, like even if you watch, I've watched some of the stuff on, you know, online or on different, um, uh, television shows or whatever you can get online or whatever. And you watch it and they have actual vehicles driving along with the horses, uh, you know, um, crewing and helping support the horses. And you can see that they don't stop to let the horses drink water or to pee. That's all done only at the vet checks where, and so then you don't have to have the rider strategy or, um, the knowledge of learning how to adjust to riding to the conditions because it, it, they know what, exactly what they're doing and as far as it's you know they're they're going at really high speeds for the long distances they come in and they're throwing tons and tons of ice water and ice on the horses to cool them down uh, so it it's kind of morphed into its own separate sport which is somewhat different from what american endurance riding which is, is more like. technical 
you know, uh, adventures mm -hmm. went through this too. I, you know, obviously with the cross country courses, that you know they become much more technical. They used to have roads and tracks where they would go out, and you know it used to be more of a race than it is now. You know, now it's become a much more technical. Whereas endurance has kind of gone the other way. Uh, right. And as you're saying, I, there are certain countries that have kind of forced that. I think the countries like America and some of the, uh, even some of the European countries that still have mm -hmm. terrain to ride in. Um, now, the other thing is they're, they're in the desert, a lot of them, uh, but it's very dry. So they're not used to humidity like we had for sure in North exactly. Carolina. I mean, it was hot mm -hmm. as hell. It really was. Um, yeah. I, I, we're from Florida and it was hot. It was Florida hot and humid. Okay. <laughs> That's how hot it was. So, but there were still a ton of horses out there that were still going because they were riding for the terrain and they were riding to finish. And that's going to come up here too. So the AERC, which is, is AERC the governing body of endurance or is the USEF the governing body of endurance in the United States? Uh, you know, I think USEF is the, um, the national, um, I'm, I'm not really sure what the exact terms are. AERC is, um, it our own group, but I think we're overseen by the USEF. Yeah. It's the national, you know, whatever. And then um, we sanctioned the, you know, the international type rides through FEI. And so I, I know it gets a little bit complicated. And from what I understand, AERC actually hasn't renewed their contract with USEF. I don't know what exactly is going on there. We'll have to get somebody on to explain it to us um the, the the american driving society and the uscf went through this recently they had a big battle um and because oh, okay. the american driving society controls the driving in the united states okay uh, but the uscf oversees it and there was all these battles between the two so that's right it sounds similar yeah it's very yeah. similar yeah. and there's this happens all the time um and it's all politics by the way people surprise surprise <laughs> so all right so this letter from the aerc to the uscf i'm not going to read the whole thing it's like two miles long. But I picked out a couple of paragraphs I wanted to talk to you about. One of the second paragraph says in the last decade a clear divide has occurred within endurance that many outside of our disciplines are not aware of. The split is between the traditional endurance on one hand and on the other hand extreme flat track racing which you just talked about for extended differences. Uh ARC does not encourage or support the philosophy or resultant behavior of flat track racing at extended distances. Um, so the, you know, that's what we just talked about. And really, to be honest, you could put them on a mile long racetrack and have them go around a hundred times. And, you know, that's flat track racing, right? I mean, um, and you know, it, it means very little terrain and we're just going hell bent for election to win a race. We also right. feel like the nature and publicity involved with the extreme flat track racing is not in line with the mission statement of the goals of the USEF. Simply put, there is a dangerous disconnect between extreme flat track racing for extended distances version of endurance and the AERC's USEF guiding principles. And it is because of this we believe the USEF and AERC need to be a beacon of light to join together for not just horse welfare, but to for the preservation of the true nature of endurance competitions. Uh, unfortunately, the chaotic and disturbing events of WEG have brought clearly into focus the dangers of flat track racing for extended differences being attempted in the framework of traditional endurance. And it's what you were talking about, these flat track, and it's not just some of the, some of the South American countries had trouble too. Um, 
and by the way, you know, there's one country down there that they do follow along and handle stuff in cars and stuff. I, we watched the video of it also. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we did is we took flat track horses, put them in a very traditional endurance race here in the United States with mountainous terrain, heat, and humidity. And that's what happened. It says, which is embellic, or emblematic of much of the endurance world. While we agree that the start mix-up and the incomplete facilities were a major issue in this particular WEG, as noted above, the decision or the the decade-plus erosion of traditional endurance behaviors and equine welfare criteria are the greatest threats to the discipline. So here we're talking about flat track racing versus traditional endurance. Are there people in the United States that believe that the flat track racing is the way to go? Or is, for the most part, the the members of the AARC in the United States are used to the old way and that's the way they want to keep it? What are are you hearing from your friends? I think everybody would prefer for it to go back to how... um things started with it being more technical and being more where you have to plan your strategy and ride smart because otherwise you're taking all of that out of the equation and the riders are just turning into jockeys. Well, that's right. It becomes a race. They really could do it on mm-hmm. a trap mile long track for a hundred laps. Right. Well, I mean, right. Yeah. And, and there was an article that was ju- that had just come out recently this week that went over the um, the low amount of experience a lot of these riders actually have. Hmm. And so their horsemanship uh, skills aren't as strong either. Definitely not. They don't really know their horses. Hmm. You know that's that's the thing with endurance riders. And I hear I've heard it for decades from veterinarians and other friends and other professionals. That endurance riders are in, you know, you know, they're often considered to be the smartest people and the most, in, maybe not intelligent, but the most uh, for for horse in, care, it, yeah, it, for horse care, the most uh, educated, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Because you have to be. <laughs> Exactly. You have yeah. to know your horse. You learn your horse by spending all that time riding them in different conditions. If you're riding them in the same conditions on a, you know, on a course that doesn't have the technical stuff or changes of footing or narrow trails, cliffs, you know, stuff like what we're, you know, is common and normal for us to ride in, you just don't learn. You're not going to learn those things. And that was clearly evident at at WEG, I think. Well, and that goes on. This letter then goes on a a couple paragraphs later. um, And this is why I don't think we're going to hear the full report from the FEI, but they could prove me wrong. When the veterinarians <laughs> at Tryon wanted to slow the race down with a 60 uh, BPM pulse rate, the FEI organizers reversed the decision, and part, partly, I believe, because it it benefited the flat track racers more to do it the other way. It is well documented, documented that on this type of terrain, horses need shorter loops to ensure more frequent veterinary monitoring of the metabolic function, but FEI officials decided that they wanted five loops instead of the six that had been originally planned by the organizers. Clearly, horse welfare was not the priority when these decisions were made and suggestions made by those qualified to recommend stronger measures to slow the horses down were not considered. That was even changing, Karen, as we were there. They uh-huh. were changing that the night before, and then, you know, there were all these changes. It went one way, and then it went back. And we could not keep up even in the press office what was happening. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, 
then it goes on, this event would have been greatly improved if FEI had listened to the people that have a great deal of experience in endurance riding in technical terrain and adverse weather. Unfortunately, it often appears the welfare of the horse is only given consideration after something goes wrong in some FEI events. We believe that uh, by purposely using the voice of the AERC and USEF, small changes can be have a huge impact on the rebuilding of the reputation of endurance and highlighting the incredible attributes of endurance. Um, so they took a direct shot at the FEI there, basically called them fools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, basically, that's what they did. Um, and if you had seen, if you had been there for the whole thing, uh, you would have thought they were just out of control. <laughs> I mean, it was just... I still don't get how nobody knew where the start was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was a construction site. So right, I, I'm right. not sure they didn't change that at the last minute. I mean, uh, we're kind of told that they changed it, but there was definitely a group that was being led by individuals in a golf cart to the start. Then, And that's where the controversy came in, is nobody knows who that person was. Oh, no. So the controversy is, were this half this group led intentionally to the wrong place? Um, so there's controversy and speculation mm-hmm. there, too. Um one of the things that, you know, came out when I talked to Heather in that special episode, and you can find that at 2018wegshow.com, just look for the special Endurance Gate episode, um, is that there are some changes in the eyes of the, of the Federation here, or, or of the association here, that need to be done. Um, and I don't know if politics going to allow them. One is, basically, inc- what they're proposing in this letter is an increased penalties for drug testing. Higher fines and longer suspensions for the horses uh, and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, that they test everybody at four and five star. Well, apparently, they do random testing now. They're proposing that they test everybody. Well, the Olympics does that, right? I mean, uh, you would have to do that if this was an Olympic discipline. Um, they also, and this is the one I wanted to ask you about, check for sensitivity to horses' lower legs at initial vetting during the ride at vet checks and upon completion. What are they, what's, what's the issue there? I guess to see if there's anything sore in the, in the tendons and ligaments. Don't they do that now? Um, n- not necessarily, in, in the, unless the vets see something. They usually don't really so not um, doing flex tests palpate the legs. Yeah. They Yeah, they don't do flex tests. Because really, if I don't, you know, I'm the thing is, is if they start doing flexion tests, I mean, that alone can make a horse sore. So you don't right. want the vets to, you know... Um, cause a horse to become sore because they they're flexing all their legs just to you know um you know it, especially mm. if they don't see anything they're also and this you know. proposal i think i i like this proposal and they've done it in other sports uh is where you have to qualify your horse through the levels and you have to have a 60 what they're proposing is a 66 percent completion rate before you can move up to like a three star Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you drop below that, then your horse drops back. Um, so it's not that way now. Can I just run my horse and whatever I want to run them in? Right. I, I believe that with the FEI that you do have to start out doing, and I don't know um, exactly what you, or how many or, or over what period of time, but you do have to start with the lower distances, like the limited distance 25s and stuff before you can move up. And the horses do have to be older than um, 
you know, once they do move up to do the longer distances, like the hundreds, they have to be older than like uh, seven or eight or, or something like that. But, um, and, and AARC, I believe you have to now be six, have a horse be six to do a hundred. It used to be five. And, and so I think that AARC is a little bit different with Karen doesn't you know, know that rule because both things. of her horses are like 50. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're older. Uh, yeah, not a problem. Well, for most of us, we t- by the time we start riding our horses and spend a year or two getting them ready, they're already seven or eight. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> not an it's issue. Not, not a big Karen's deal. In Karen's case, 25. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I like this, uh, you have to maintain a certain completion rate because then it goes back to what you just said. It goes back to our are we riding to finish or are we riding to win? And it, it forces it to go back to a little bit of riding to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, right? I mean, because if your horse isn't finishing, you can't move on. And I, you know, and whether that's injury or whether that's you're pushing your horse too hard and, and it's metabolic or whatever, that no matter what the reason, it forces you to think about horse welfare. Um. And, you know, we're talking 66% in completion, which is just a little over half the races you have to complete. Right. Um, Two out out of three. And the interesting thing that happened, too, and this came up, uh, you know, it was hot and humid that day and blah, blah, blah. But then a week or two later, they run Biltmore in the same exact terrain, in the same exact... It was probably hotter that day, actually, Biltmore. Um, And they completed like 80% of the horses. So it goes to show that what the, you know some of the things you've talked about and that Heather talked about and we've been talking about here when you're riding to finish uh, and and not riding just to win then it makes a difference. I mean it does make a difference in completion rates and well, knowing how to manage your horse. Completion rates, but the treatment rates yeah. of the horses that are getting into trouble and requiring you know treatment from the vets. Yeah, there were fifty horses in the vet tent by the time they called that race. That. that it, it was full. Um, and I think it was getting to the point where the vets couldn't, they just couldn't do anymore. <laughs> um, they had a lot of vets there, uh, but uh-huh. they just were, they were very busy. Um, so I don't know. What, what, what's your, to wrap this all up, what do you think should happen? What, in your personal opinion, have been around this for a long time? You know, it, it's a tough thing because I don't know all the intricate workings as far as, what's involved with, you know, having the national, um, organization and USEF and the whole, all of that stuff. It's like you mentioned before, there's a lot of politics involved. So I I don't really know what the right thing is for AERC. I do think, uh, I wish we could support our, the riders that do want to ride and compete at an international level more than we do. Uh, um, I don't think it's fair to blame them for the problems that have been caused by other countries that do things that are out of our control. So I don't really know what the answer is. Well, and one of the things this letter is that what this letter ultimately was asking for is for the FEI to withdraw all funding for endurance uh, internationally because the F or the, mm-hmm. or the USEF rather to, uh, withdraw the FEI funding for endurance, because USEF, USEF pays FEI a certain amount, all the countries do, uh, to participate in these sports. And what they're asking for is that the USEF withdraw that money and not pay it until these things are resolved. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
I, I don't know. I see the USEF doing that either, but um, right. you know, because talk about politics. Uh, well, right, and ARC hasn't really done a great job of getting their own national championship going. Like we just had the AARC national championship, which. As you mentioned, you know, they did a really good job. The writers rode well. From what I heard, they didn't have anything, you know, serious go wrong with everybody found the start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the that was the comment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but they only had like on the 133 riders, whereas we had the week before the Virginia City 100 out here, which is just the, you know, one of the hundreds that we have out here had more riders than that. So what do we need to do to get more people to attend our own national championships? Because, you know, we need to look into that. We're not doing a great job with that so far. Well, and is it true that riders tend to, endurance riders tend to not go east to west coast? There's very few that do both. Um, and, and we're going to be talking to a couple of them later this morning. Okay. Uh, the uh, one in particular that has come out um both for Tevis and Virginia City this year. Um so so there are some that do, but you're not getting them in the numbers that we need to be encouraging, I think, people uh to do well, in I, order to I think part of make a, a true and it's economics, right? I mean you have to take off work for a longer period of time. It's four or five days to drive your horse across the country because you're mm -hmm. you're not paying to have them shipped usually because you can't afford it. So you're doing it yourself and and so you're talking two to three weeks of your life just making this happen. Um, right. So it is, you know, whichever direction you're going, right? So it, it's mm -hmm. it's two weeks at least um, with drive time, and if you're driving your horse yourself, and all the expense that's involved there. So, uh, you exactly. know, there, there's a reason too. It's you know not quite as heavily funded as some of the other disciplines uh, with owners or just money in general. So I, you know, I kind of get that. Uh, you know, looking at it from an outsider, I kind of get why that is. Um, but anyway, there's somebody that's a huge supporter of endurance in this country and has been working with endurance riders for a very long time. And that is Kristen from the Distance Depot. Yeah, you caught my throw off. You took it, Karen, and you ran with it. I thought the hesitation in your voice for two seconds. It's like, I was drinking coffee. <laughs> Good morning, Kristen. Good morning. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. How are you? Good. We're just having the serious discussion about the future of endurance, uh, and we've solved all the world's problems. We're good now. Yes, that, that's a long discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? We are going to talk about um, some new colors um, in the beta-biothane tack that we've been making. Um, most of your riders, our listeners, are familiar with beta-biothane tack. Um, it's a poly-coated nylon, for those that may not know about it. Um, it's durable, comfortable for your horse, waterproof, super easy to clean. Um, of course, all of our designs are made for the comfort of your horse. And, um, you know, all of our folds go away from the horse um, for his comfort, so nothing to rub. It won't rub the horse. Um, it, it looks like leather. It's embossed, so it looks a little like leather. Um, and there are two types of biothane. There's actually beta-biothane, which is what we prefer to put against the horse. Um, and those, that is the product that has come out with three new colors. Um, it's a matte finished material, whereas the older biothane is a shiny 
yeah. um, material. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looked cheap, It looked though. like patent leather. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like the shiny colors, but everybody has their preference. So our new colors that we've just gotten in, we have orange sherbet. We <laughs> have a pretty pink um, that matches the, our shiny PK311. The original pink was kind of a salmony pink color. Um, so this pink is real pretty. And now we have a new Robin's Egg Blue. It's a pretty sky blue. So lots of color options. I think we have over 60 colors in stock. So the the um, combinations are endless. Um, so you can make up, you know, we custom make it all here in our store in Peculiar. And so you can choose your colors. Most, most writers have their own color. So um, that's important. And what can you I can get made? To your saddle packs. What I can I get made in the biothane? What what things are you making? We make everything, just about anything you can imagine. So of course, all of the bridles, reins, and breast collars. In fact, we offer a set price where you save if you order those three pieces. Um, but if you just need a bridle. You can get that as well. We do all kinds of accessories. So we have stirrup cages. We have stirrup leathers, center fire rigging for your saddle, um, running martingales. Um, did I say spur straps? <laughs> um, just, like I say, just about anything you can think of, we can make it. And I see on your website it says, get your custom tack made and shipped in one to three business days. You really can get it done that quick. We have, they, are, they are fast. Absolutely, yeah. We, we have one of the fastest turnaround, turnarounds in the industry. Um, when your order is placed, you know, it gets put in line, and um, we get busy. So it does. It typically ships out the same day or next day when you order. So for the first time ever, I took my biothane harness. Uh, I don't ride endurance, but I do drive, and I have a biothane harness. <laughs> and you guys, I think we had heard talked about this in the show before. Everybody kept saying, put it in the dishwasher. It'll make your life so much easier. <laughs> so oh. I did the other you day. Did. And oh, my God, it was so nice. <laughs> was like, why am I washing my harness, which has a lot of parts? Why am I washing my harness yeah. on the wash rack when I can just throw it in the dishwasher? Exactly. <laughs> Did it, it fit in the dishwasher? That's a lot. Uh, of I had to dishwasher. do two loads because it didn't. Because yeah. it got the saddle and everything yeah. else is a lot of it's a lot of pieces. And but boy, it came out a lot better than when I clean it myself. <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> yes. I I was a little and, nervous and about the to... next load of dishes, but uh, they they were fine. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> you if you're an AERC member or a NATRAC member, you want to check your endurance news and your hoof print. Uh, magazine um, for specials on beta biothane tech, and also if you're a green bean member, um, we offer discounts too as a sponsor. So we sponsor, uh, of course, the ARC riders and the NATRAC riders too. So look look for your discounts there. Terrific. Well, and of course, you go to distancedepot.com to find all of that from bits to all to the custom parts to a bunch of other things that we've talked about over the years here in the show. And Kristen, we thank you for continuing to be a sponsor of our show. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Distance, Thanks, Kristen. Distancedepot.com. Bye. Bye. Don't forget the the, the distancedepot.com. That's where you want to go. And more colors. And Yay. More co- <laughs> and very bright colors. Did you notice that? They were all like uh, Easter colors. Very bright. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. 
<laughs> so that's that's cool. Uh, and uh, before we get to our next guest, I wanted to remind everybody that we do have a full week of shows here for you. And if you want to listen to past endurance episodes, that's very easy to go, uh, very easy to do. Go to horsesinthemorning.com, scroll down to the middle of the page, you'll see a bunch of little icons for the daily or the monthly shows that we do here at Horses in the Morning. Click on the endurance one and it brings up all the past episodes and you can go back and take a listen. Karen's done a bunch of tips. You know, usually we do tips in the first section, but because we had uh, we had so much uh, going on in the endurance gate, we thought we'd cover that. <laughs> uh, anything before we get to our guest, Jennifer's getting our next guest on, anything you wanted to mention concerning your horses or what's going on there? Me? Or Jennifer. No, you. <laughs> Jennifer's getting our guest. You know, on. not really so much. I've been, I just spent a wonderful three days riding with one of my friends and doing a lot of fun trail stuff and uh, wonderful fall weather. So we're looking forward to possibly going and doing an endurance ride this coming up weekend. I know Chief had a bit of an issue, something about a rope burn. He got, what was he it? Did, a, he, from, he got a, he did the first time in his whole life since I've ever had him, he got a rope burn. And so was we it were, from time? Uh, yes, yeah. he, we were camping and he got his leg over his rope, which is something he just has never done. But I guess I called it a senior moment. <laughs> He's 23. <laughs> the first time the poor horse gets I often a, wonder how often that happens. Yeah, it doesn't happen much with my horses, but it <laughs> did happen. So just shows you horses can, you know, you can put them in bubble wrap and they'll get a heat rash. You know, I mean, right. there's there's always something they're going to find to cause a problem. So we were uh, taking it easy for him for the last few weeks and uh, just going careful practice doing some bareback riding, which was actually really good for me and my junior because it. Uh, let us practice on our balance, the getting on, the getting off part, but most especially the balance. And uh, she actually, the the eleven year old that I ride with, she actually kept asking, "Can I ride Chief?" Because uh, as we both call him, he's uh, the couch. <laughs> he's like sitting on an easy chair or a couch because he's so round. There's no withers. It's very comfortable to ride on him bareback. <laughs> so, so that's what we've been up to. Well, and uh, I think I think our guest is ready. We are good to go. Oh, good. Well, our next guest is Claire Godwin. She has been on. Uh, uh, this is her second time on with us. She, she was on before to tell us about the Old Dominion Hundred, which she has done multiple times. And this year, she is having an incredible ride season, riding her 27-year-old horse Mercury, who has completed the Old Dominion Hundred in the top 10, the Tevis, and the AARC National Championship. And uh, so welcome, Claire. How are you this morning? Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. I'm great. Good. Well, t give us a little bit of history on Mercury. Uh, 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 he's a phenomenal horse. How did you come to get him? Well, thank you. Um, so Mercury, we call him Merc, is, um, as you said, he's 27. He's 27 and a half now, and he's only 14 hands, and that's if he hasn't been shod for a while, if his toes are long. <laughs> um, he's a full-blood Arabian. He's of uh, Almoral lines, although he wasn't bred by them. He was bred out of their lines here in Maryland. 
and he, um, we actually got him. I bought him as a um, pony for my kids when he was fourteen, and um, he. Uh, I actually bought him for my son, and I unloaded him from the trailer. And my daughter, who was thirteen at the time, saw him and saw he's got a little freckle mark on his left shoulder that's in the shape of a heart. And my daughter said, that's my pony. <laughs> so she rode him. <laughs> she rode him until um, she left for college and did well. She rode him in endurance. And uh, then I was going to sell him. I actually um, was going to sell him to Nick Kohut's wife, who Nick is a um, prominent veterinarian in our sport. And um, at the, she was gonna, kind of going back and forth about whether she wanted to buy him and meanwhile I rode him in a in a 50 mile ride and he was fun so I said I think I'm just going to keep this little guy so <laughs> I did and <laughs> I've been riding him and um uh, I've uh he's so easy to ride he just put him on a loose rein and he just does his little pony canter and so comfortable and so fun and very un uh, unfettered and and uh, no no mental challenges that um, he's really like being on a vacation uh, when when we compete. So, but I've also over the years had many many um, other people ride him. He's my go-to for anybody that wants to enter the sport. Um, he's been, I think, the first endurance mount for three to uh, three to five people coming into our sport. And um, uh, he's uh, had, I think, a total of 12 or 13 different riders over the years compete him. And uh, so he's sort of an ambassador for our sport. So I, uh, I think that's one of the most important attributes about this little guy. But, well, do, you, uh, uh, huh? do you know any history on him before you got him? Yeah, he was a 4-H pony. Actually, uh, when he completed the Tevis this year and uh, much fuss was made on social media about him because of his age, uh, the it, it wound up getting around to the young person that had him when he was, like, I think she had him between ages 7 and uh, when he was 7 to 14. And... Um, she lives out in California now, and it was a real thrill to uh, hear from her. Aww. Oh, I bet. She, 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 wrote him, she wrote him in little hunter-jumper things and <laughs> um, never dreamed that he would be an endurance horse. Now, let's, let's qualify this. You, 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 you briefly touched on it. So you finished Tevis. He's 27 and a half when he finished. And in 13th place out of a field of 149 starters, there's a reason that kind of went viral. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, he just kind of does his little thing, you know. He's uh, he, his big nod to um, his aging is that he doesn't pulse quite as well, and I did have to spend a lot of time cooling him. I've never, I've never used a Camelback before on my back, but I had ice water in my Camelback, and I kept all through the canyons of Tevis, sucking it, sucking the ice water into my mouth and spitting it on his neck. And <laughs> I think that helped. <laughs> I was just going to ask your ride strategy. Now we know it's <laughs> spitting <laughs> ice water on your horse. <laughs> that must be a sight. <laughs> well, you know, I got out of the canyons feeling pretty refreshed myself. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
but uh, he's been he's been really uh, a great little guy. He's um, uh, I guess he's he's got about fifty seven hundred miles on him now, and that's to me pretty remarkable given that he really didn't start in endurance until he was fifteen, and uh, he's just uh, super reliable. Yes, and exactly. Because arthritis. He's now what he's 12, 12 years into his career. Right, right. Wow. And how, what do you do to manage him? I know everybody wants to know what, I mean, uh, the horse is obviously a phenomenal horse, but how do you manage him? Like, like, as you mentioned, a little bit of arthritis, of course, he's 27, but what do you do to manage him? Well, he does get uh, Cosequin every day and uh, in his feed, the joint supplement, and he uh, get Sadequin or Pentacin on a regular basis as well. <clears throat> but um, uh, I think a lot of his uh, keeping him sound and well-muscled has to do with um, uh, not overriding him in between endurance rides. He gets a lot of, t- lot of time off, but that said, he does not get the winter off like my other horses for fear that he'd stiffen up. Mm-hmm. But I don't ride him. I don't ride him at home. He ponies in the mountains. Um, here, I ride another horse, and he um, uh, just runs along free alongside of us. Actually, he trails us on the way out for a loop, and he knows we usually do a 8- to 12-mile um, training ride, and uh, he knows when the midpoint is, depending upon which um, trail we use. And as soon as we get to the midpoint, he starts to lead and <laughs> to go back to the trailer. But, um, yeah, we don't put any ropes on him. And I think what that does, that that free ponying in the mountains, is it keeps us back in better shape. Um, it keeps us back more muscled than he would be otherwise. Um, and I think that helps him quite a bit. He's got a really short back, um, and I think that helps him too. But actually, we had a lot of problems with that when he was younger because he's got such a short back and he's got these big size one feet and he um, uh, forges quite a bit. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of uh, uh, farrier tricks to get that to, to stop with that short back. But get- he, uh, he's fun. He, we just take him up to the mountains and he runs free um, and he loves it and it keeps his mind in the game and keeps him anticipating and uh, fun stuff instead of drudgery and um He'll, uh, uh, when we get back to the trailer, he'll just, I don't tie him to the trailer as I'm untacking the other horses. They're tied. And uh, we load one horse and uh, put the tack away, load another horse and put the tack away. And I'm picking up pieces of ropes and stuff, and he loads himself into the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> do you He's do anything? An amazing little guy. So there's a couple questions listeners had um, for you. And that was... One is do, what is uh, is he barefoot? Do you use boots? Do you, uh, and how do you how do you keep him sound? Because everybody that has older horses always have, fights that battle, right? So um, he does, as I said, he's got some arthritis, but um, he's pretty even with it. No one leg is worse than the other. So um, he's uh, he kind of toe drags in the hind end, um, but he's done that for ten years. Mm. And I do he's too. Not lame per se, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he does wear steel shoes. Uh, I'm in the East Coast, and uh, 
glue-on shoes and boots just don't work because of the mud. It just sucks them right off. And um, <clears throat> so we, he uses uh, steel shoes. They're set back quite a bit to help him with his forging problem. And I do use um, Solgard on rocky rides, uh, pour in Solgard uh, to protect his soul. But um, uh, he is barefoot for roughly three to four months a year in the winter. He's still being ridden, and at that point I'll use boots on him. I like to give all my horses time off of shoes. But, um, no, he's he's in shoes during the year. And um, as as far as his arthritis goes, is it, we've been lucky that he doesn't have a problem with being overweight at all. Um, like many older horses, I'm having to focus on keeping more weight on him. And part of that problem is... Uh, dental health, you know, when they, horses have, of course, continually growing back teeth, and uh, when they get reach a certain age, they stop growing, and uh, the continued wear uh, wears them down. He's been lucky that he hasn't lost any teeth, but he his molars are pretty ground down. In fact, they're pretty close to being flush with the uh, uh, with the gums, and um, I first noticed that this spring because he, when the grass came in fresh and soft you could hear him chewing the grass and it would make these squeaking noises which was unusual for him and that's when we uh, sedated him looked in his mouth to assess uh, his dental health but um, so we're starting to feed him some chopped hay to maintain weight and that's um, that's helping quite a bit. Well tell us um, how did the national championship go for you guys? Well, we um, uh, rode very conservatively uh, at the National Championship ride at the Biltmore in North Carolina. It's a beautiful venue. Don't know whether you've ever been there or not, but it's at um, the Vanderbilt's estate. I don't know how many acres they have, but it's all groomed and beautifully flowering um, bushes and stuff that you ride through, and um, just a gorgeous venue, but... um, we rode conservatively because our goal was just to complete that third hundred this year, and um, uh, it paid off. There was, uh, I think, uh, only a 45 or 48 percent completion rate on that hundred, and we were lucky enough to finish. Um, he felt good at the end, and I was um, uh, glad that that strategy paid off. Right, and that was his 18th. Uh, 100 mile in one day completion I see too that was that's pretty cool thank you congratulations and and so I'm looking at at his record and I see most years you're doing anywhere from 5 to 13 rides on it is there any um, special strategy that you do going into each season as far as planning not really. Um, I actually did not plan on taking him to uh, the Tevis this year. Uh, he had been there six times, um, well, five times before this year. But uh, I was thinking about taking another horse that uh, I co-own with a friend. Um, but he um, he had some issues during the early season and uh, was out. And so kind of scratched my head because we're pretty addicted to that ride and and uh, even though it's across the country from us, but uh-huh. um, it seemed like uh, Mark was uh, was up for it after he completed the Old Dominion Hundred, 
And uh, I just thought, gee, you know, he's been out there five times, but he's always been ridden by a different rider than me. And and maybe before it's too late, I should be the one to ride him. Exactly. Sounds like he does great on those kinds of technical trails with his size. Yeah, yeah. His uh, forte is um, uh, he can really move going downhill. He's kind of low to the ground anyway, and he... (laughs) Nose fairly low, and uh, is very uh, foot sure going downhill pretty quickly. And I have one more question from a listener: uh, Is there any advice you have for somebody starting an older horse in the sport of endurance? Um, I think that um, uh, work with your veterinarian. Uh, your veterinary team is um, uh, so critical for mm-hmm. evaluating any. Um, pre-existing problem, any uh, uh, arthritis or things that can be corrected or or um, at least um, worked through as you're working the horse. Um, if, for instance, you know that your horse has some arthritis in the back end, then you're going to know that you have to take it easy going up hills. If you, if you have a horse that has some... Um, uh, uh, chronic problems with the front end, then you know that you better uh, take it easy going downhill uh, with any horse, knowing his strengths and weaknesses and um, playing to those strengths and, and minimizing the weaknesses and what you ask them to do is the way to get your maximum uh, performance. And do you, at the end of every winter, beginning of the spring, is that when you evaluate, hey, is this horse going out again or is this the final season? I don't know how I evaluate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess I'm not very good at evaluating that. <laughs> well, you know, it's hard because Actually, um, it's hard because you said it in the beginning. This is a horse that you can get on and you know what you have. And it, it's comfortable for the horse, it's comfortable for you, and you just know what you have. And boy, that's hard to give up. <laughs> Sorry. <Sorry. laughs> Karen, right? You have two of them. <laughs> I know. That's Glenn right. keeps asking me every month, when are you getting a new horse? Yeah. Well, I'm like, should you be training the new one now? <laughs> I'm like... happy with the old ones. They're still fun to ride. They're safe, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot to be said for that. And I really, there's so many goals in our sport that you can aspire to. You can aspire to, um, you know, winning every ride or getting best conditions at every ride or um, turtling every ride. And um, But I, I really think some of the more meaningful goals in, for me in our sport are the longevity goals. And I know that, um, Karen, you... you um, uh, uh, will agree with me there. There's just something about being able to um, ride year after year on the same horse that's um, pretty special. Exactly. Well, Claire, congratulations on on your terrific ride season you've been having and on having um, a, some really great horses. Um, I know you've you. got other really good horses besides Merck, and uh, uh, we're just really impressed with him he's a phenomenal horse thank you so much we'll see you out on trail and thank you for joining us again thanks a bunch thank you for having me bye-bye now bye okay everything we talked about in the first half hour (laughs) this is the opposite of that her (laughs) 
right? I mean, she just... <laughs> I mean, when she talks about spitting the water on her horse's neck... Uh, And it was interesting because one of our listeners said that they've seen her ride a number of times and sometimes she'll be what you call turtling or just, you know, Uh in it for the ride and sometimes out to win. But I think she determines that based on the horse and it just goes back to horsemanship. It's that thing we were talking about. Right. Knowing the horse. Yep. Knowing what the horse is capable of and if you should even ask that out of them, you know. It's because it's, uh, of people like cool. you and her and the thousands of others that this sport will be just fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, providing the people at the top don't make the stupidest decisions ever. I mean, there, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> thought I'd throw that in. All right. So. <laughs> all right. Let's talk a little bit about Renegade. It's uh, the boots that you use to do all of your rides. Then we'll do a song and we'll come back with another terrific guest. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, RenegadeHoofBoots.com. They've got a couple of different versions, uh, models to fit different shaped hooves. They've got the regular traditional Renegade boot, which is mainly what I use. Uh, And I just spent actually four days in a row riding my horses with Renegades on over a very rocky and technical steep terrain. And they were um, absolutely wonderful for the horses. Uh, They've got the Viper version as well. Uh, And they also have glue-ons. And the boots are available in several different colors, so you can match it to your beta biothane tack from Distance Depot. Uh, great product. I've been using Renegades for many thousands of miles. Uh, when Bo passed the 10,000-mile mark at Tevis this year, he was using Renegades, and he has used them for his entire career since I've had him. And actually, just a, a matter of trivia, uh, Chief was one of the first horses to go over 10,000 miles using um, boots. And he has done most of his career. Now he's over 15,000 using Renegades. Uh, then there was another horse that just went over 10,000 miles a year or two ago, uh, Haji, which uh, we had Stephanie on the show. Uh, that horse also uses Renegades. And then Bo was the third horse to pass the 10,000-mile mark using Renegade hoof boots. There's a reason that your picture is on their homepage of their website. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I just think it's really cool that we've got these, you know, high mileage, the most highest mileage horses. You know, there's a theme. There's there's a reason that these horses have gone so long for so many miles, and that's because they've stayed sound. And I can't help but believe that the Renegade Hoof Boots have contributed to that. So, RenegadeHoofBoots.com is where you can find them. All right, let's hear a little Templeton Thompson with a horse that can fly, and then we'll be back uh, with with another terrific guest. Uh, let's just tease who's coming up here. Yes, we have the winner of the AERC National Championship ride. Held at the Biltmore. So here we go. Caged in, need to get a little air so I can breathe again. Got a thirst in my heart, hunger in my eyes, need to satisfy my soul. 
free my wild side My wheels have been spinning like crazy in my head Gotta get back to living before I forget My sights are set where well, that green grass is A good running start She get me Out of these dreams, I'm holding on tight. Need a good, strong tall wind and a horse that can fly. Got a load on my back and a lot on my mind. Yeah, the weight of this world really gets me sometimes. There's a freedom inside me I've been missing so much Gonna kick the gates wide open And leave a big old cloud of dust Yeah, 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 yeah I need somewhere to run Somewhere to ride A fresh pair of wings And a long stretch sky I've sat up Strong, tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah. Giddy up, look at what lies on the horizon. Second star to the left, then straight on till morning. Stretch of skies, out of these dreams, holding on tight. Need a good, strong, tall wind and a horse that can fly. Yeah, I need a horse that can fly.
Well, that was A Horse That Can Fly by Templeton Thompson. You're listening to the Endurance episode here on Horses in the Morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, Karen, I got to tell you that Jennifer has also been uh, looking, got the endurance bug, thanks to you. Uh, And (laughs) she just bought some panels because she doesn't think her horse is going to be so good at tying. So uh, she just (laughs) bought some panels. And I think that means it's serious now. She, yes, <laughs> one step at a time. Jump on in. Gotta buy scarf. <laughs> Next, she'll be ordering her custom tack from from Distance Depot. Uh, and we'll be putting more things in the dishwasher. Uh, that's coming up next. So she was actually actually picking out colors and saddle pads and colors of this and colors of that. So I think you've got her going here. She's, <laughs> Good. She's in it. Pretty soon she'll be riding next to Holly at the national championships. Uh, <laughs> so let's introduce Holly. Is she ready? Yep. Okay, great. Yeah. Terrific. Welcome, Holly. Holly it Cock. Corker in, hopefully I was somewhat close on the pronunciation. Recently attended the AARC National Championship ride at the Biltmore. She completed both the 50-mile distance and the 100-mile distance that she won. Congratulations and welcome to the show this morning, Holly. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Okay, so tell us, because uh, c- I see uh, in the records that you have a horse that looks like one is named Poet and one is named Poetry. Oh, that's tell cool. Us a- <laughs> yes, tell us about these horses. Um, well, Poet is an 11-year-old gelding that I got as a 4-year-old, and um, his three-quarter sister is Poetry, and she is uh, currently seven. They're both Asgard Arabians, uh, bred by Tom and Holly Savitz in West Virginia, um, and I think they're both amazing athletes. Um, I have several other Asgards as well. Wow. Wow. So how did you luck into getting uh, these two? <laughs> Well, um, I actually bought my first um, endurance horse from Tom. Oh, gosh. Um, His name is Favor, and I think it was in 2008 or so. And um, as I started working with him and I was going along, sometimes I would actually pick up some other older horses that were not in um, under saddle and put them, help them put under saddle and help uh, sell them. And as we uh, established a relationship, I would tell Tom, you know, this is what I'm looking for. And he's an excellent judge of the horses in his um, herd. And he would make suggestions. And, you know, very often I um, accepted his suggestions or I would go and look at the herd and say, I like that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, Get up and start working with them. And what's what state are you in? I'm in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. So you did travel a ways to get down to the to the national championship. Um, yes, I did. Actually, um, I was very fortunate because I left um, the middle of August and I traveled down. Uh, stayed with some friends, and I um, attended the WEG. I had one horse that was um, uh, riding for South Africa, and then I, uh, you know, the plan was to stay and ride the national championships, and I actually had um, my one mare poetry who I rode in the 50, and then we had another mare that was ridden by a young rider, um, Hannah Whitman. She qualified that mare, and so we did the 50 and then the 100 on Saturday. Okay, well, we have to ask, what did you think of the WEG (laughs) endurance (laughs) gate? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it was it was a catastrophe, and I think I'm still somewhat numb. Um, it was just, it's kind of surrealistic, um, you know, the extent of um, how the venue was not prepared and the start and stop of the ride and um, all of the things that went on. It just doesn't seem real. Uh, you know, it's just, it's surprising. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. one of the words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible and it, you know it's, it was a disaster i'm hoping that actually out of the ashes some good things can come right um, mm-hmm. if, if we can things that have gone wrong and we know um yeah. you know uh what's the value of putting a technical trail and having um you know all horses compete in that environment and what that takes um and having a, a venue that's prepared you know i, I don't know whether the WEG will um, have endurance again i don't know that but i think there's some things that we need to go back to the nuts and bolts and uh, get things going on the right track again. Well, at this point, mm-hmm. we don't know if there's a WEG again. So, I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we don't. Exactly. Well, tell us, how did you get involved in endurance? Well, um, I grew up with horses. Um, my dad actually put me on a horse when I was six months old, so I pretty much grew up on the back of a horse. And we had horses up until I was 18, and then I uh, bought our first mare, which happened to be a little gray Arabian mare uh, when I was 35, and my kids were young. And um, we started doing the same things I had done as a, as a young person as we did 4-H, and we did the um, show circuit, the breed show circuit for the Arabians, and my daughter showed, and I showed, and so forth. And one of the things I had enjoyed a lot as a young person was trail riding, and I looked around, and I saw there was something called endurance out there, and I said, wow, okay, I, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun, and I looked at one of the horses that was in the pasture, and I said, okay, you are going to do this, and I'm going to learn all I can, so I did all kinds of reading. And um, I talked to some people, and I started conditioning him, and then I went to my first ride in 2003 and did a 25. Um, I turtled, and I was smitten. I just thought it was the most amazing sport ever, and I think I still feel that way because I'm continually learning and growing as I go. It's just it's so much fun, and there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite ride? My favorite ride? Oh, wow. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> um, I gotta say, I really, I really do like um, the Biltmore, but um, this crazy, sadistic part of me, I think, really loves um, the Old Dominion. Um, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a hard, tough course, and you know, you really feel very accomplished when you finished either the fifty or the hundred on that course. And. Tell us a little more about, let's hear more about the Biltmore. What do you think of the trail? What is the trail like there for the national championship this year? What was it like? um, It was very, yeah, it was very similar to the spring. I had done the Biltmore ride um, in the spring on Poets, and we came in fourth, one BC, and the high vet score at that ride. And I had um, goals of, um, you know, continuing and improving. Um, It was relatively the same course and the trails are just amazing um they're permanently marked trails uh and i know that the biltmore equestrian as well as um cheryl and stag newman put a lot of work into making sure those trails are in good shape before the ride takes place they're well marked um and it's just an excellently run run ride and the trails i thought were very good uh we were in a position where we were worried about the hurricane florence and um thankfully we didn't have as much rain right um, and we did have the trails dried out enough, so it was, um, you know, the trails were really good. There was a couple of mushy spots, but other than that, it was great. 
And since you were both at the national championship and at WEG, how were the conditions either similar or different? Well, I was not the one on the horse uh, on the trail, um, so but I did hear that the trail was deteriorating and that because of the way they had been constructed with the clay, that there was a lot of washouts. Mm-hmm. Um, there were areas were were pretty, and um, from what I understand, I think because of what they had to do uh, due to the uh, pyroplasmosis of making the 30-foot-wide swath, I think it took some of the technical aspect out of it. Um, so I think Biltmore is... Um, you know, more challenging and I think has uh, a continuous up and down. And on some of the loops, especially in the 50, um, there's a, you know, a fairly decent elevation change on, on those loops. I'm sorry, my Skype, I think, just cut out for just a second. Sorry about that. Okay, so no uh, the, the, tell us a little more. I, look, did you win? You actually, it looks like, I'm looking at the records, you won best condition on the National Championship 100. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. Yes, um, well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, and he, te- he was pretty amazing. Yeah, tell us a, a little bit more about uh, Poet. Or Poet. Um, poet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is an amazing horse. Um, he's six. 16 hands high. Wow. Uh, he's very, uh, he loves to run. He loves to pass horses and he can be the biggest PETA out there as well. Um, cause he's a big horse. He's got a big personality and sometimes he has a mind of his own, but, um, I love this horse. He's my heart horse. And uh, we've uh, learned how to work well together. And one of the things I had to figure out for him was the start, um, because sometimes we have a good start and sometimes we don't, in that he will get excited and want to, you know, pass everybody that's in front of him. And um, (laughs) not the best environment to keep him in a good pace. Uh, So what I decided to do differently this ride was to start um, actually totally away from the start. I was in a parking lot that was um, removed from the actual start line and I let them the other horses go and we trotted up about 10 minutes later past the start line and continued from there and that was a really good setup for him because he had the ability to come in behind the other horses and we just gradually passed the horses that were in the back and moved up I bet he liked that (laughs) yeah it's just to him it's like an ego boost yeah like another one down you know (laughs) I think even as we're we got into the first loop, and he was um, probably about six minutes off of the uh, front runners, and then the second loop, we were pretty much in front. I think in his mind, he always thought there was another horse out there to beat. <laughs> oh. So it just, it, just kept, it just kept him going all day. Mm-hmm. And so what are his, the fit, you know, your favorite things about, about him as far as how he goes down the trail on an endurance ride? Um. My favorite thing about him is that he um, he he loves to go. He loves to canter, and there's sometimes when you when you hit that nice, easy ground covering canter that just I mean it's like Zen in many respects, and and he just he just goes and keeps going. The other thing I like about him is um, I know athletically what I have, um, so very often I'm able to judge. You know, should I pass another horse, or if I'm coming into a hold, is he going to pulse down quickly? And because of his genetics, he has um, a really good recovery. I think our longest one was five minutes and our shortest was one minute. Um, mm-hmm. in the, uh, 
national championship. So he's got excellent recoveries, and it kind of helps with strategy. Um, and he just always seems to have some reserve. You know, he is always, you know, ready to go. And they actually did a um, progressive re- recovery uh, study during the event and took blood draws twice a hold and so forth. And some of the data that's coming back is very interesting. And it shows that he really was working within his parameters. That's great. And wow, I'm looking at his record. He's completed three rides this year. He's gotten three best conditions and two of those rides were hundreds. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, pretty awesome. So what did you do leading up to the national championship as far as his conditioning schedule was? Um, well, um, after the Biltmore, he had a little bit of rest and then he would start back to work over the summer. Um, I do have a walker at home, so he did, uh, time on the walker and then he would, we'd usually do, um, two conditioning rides a week, a, um, a week. Um, usually at that middle stage where he's not really going into competition and we're not ramping up, it's more of a maintenance issue. And then, um, the middle of August, I came down to North Carolina right near the Biltmore and I was able to use some really strong hills for conditioning. Um, and what I would do is um, my horses work pretty much every day. It's usually six days a week. And whether it's arena work or it's, um, you know, walking up the hill and trotting down, whatever it is, it's something. Mm-hmm. And then what we would do is in um, probably at least once a week, we'd go over to Biltmore and do one of the loops that would give us a good cantering, good move out uh, with steady up and down. And do you have any more plans for the rest of the season? Um, well, actually, um, Poet's going to be off probably until the spring, um, but I do plan to um, ride at Broxton in the beginning of November, and I'm taking poetry down for uh, 50, and then I'm also going to be doing 100 on um, my other horse, Authentica, who is a 16-year-old Asgard. Wow. Well, one more question. What do you like about the 100-mile distance? Um, you know, I'm finding it. I love it. Um, I, I got to admit that it was extremely daunting. I remember the first hundred that I faced, um, someone gave me great advice. They said, just ride one loop at a time. And that's pretty much what I do at every ride. Um, and I think the thing I like about the hundreds is that with the horses with endurance and stamina will shine. It's not a fast ride. It's not necessarily you go out there and, you know, you're going um, at a fast pace the entire time. It's that you're going out there and you're keeping going and making the best use of the trail when you're on it. And I think that's the thing I like about it. I like the strategy. I like the time that you have, you know, a couple loops to really define where you're going to be and keep moving up. And um, sometimes it's even just, you know, staying. Um, I w- uh, the mare that I'm going to be riding in November, she did the um, Coates Creek ride in uh, Canada in July, and it was 200 uh, excuse me, it was 105 degrees and 90% humidity. And at one point I realized, you know what, we're pretty much going to be where we are. We're just going to, you know, continue to keep a good pace. And it turned out that the horses in front of us were eliminated and she ended up winning. So it's a matter of sometimes you have the plan to win and sometimes mm-hmm. you have the plan to stay in the game. And that's, I think, what I really love about the hundreds. Well, Holly, thank you for joining us and congratulations again. And uh, good luck. Good luck to you in your future rides. Oh, thank you so much, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Holly. Thanks. Bye.
So, and I apologize to the live listeners are saying they could barely hear uh, her and the guests today, and that is true. Uh, there was nothing we could do about it. They just had really crappy connections with their phones. But if you're listening to it recorded, you probably heard them just fine because we can fix that. But so oh, not, good. not much we can do about it in the live session. It's just the way it is. Um, <clears throat> some people have good connections and some people, they probably had iPhones because iPhones are really crappy at making phone calls. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're good at everything else, but that one thing they were designed for originally, they're not so good at. <clears throat> uh, actually, it's true. Android phones do better at phone calls than iPhones. Wow. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. My phone, my phone did something really weird the other day. I was uh, actually talking on it to my dad, and my phone, while I was, and I'm on a Bluetooth, so I'm not even touching the phone, it called itself. While you were talking to somebody else? While I was talking to somebody else. I have no idea, no clue. Uh, we, you know, we make fun of our phones. We call them stupid phones. They're actually too smart because I can't figure it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, before we let Karen go, Jennifer, do you have any questions for her about your upcoming uh, rides? Oh, you have an upcoming ride, Jennifer? Where'd she go? Jennifer, you're on mute. You're on mute, Jennifer. <laughs> You have to. Two weeks. Oh my gosh! Panic Two time. Two weeks. Where is it? Florida. Um, it's a, oh yes, it's here in Florida. It'll be our first overnighter. <gasps> wow! Um, it's actually a. It's it's actually a introductory clinic, and and then the next day is uh, the ride. You can do the intro ride or the twenty five oh, ride. Oh good. So, so it'll be our first little little overnighter with our little panels. Hopefully I'm going to be able to do a, a practice run here at home. Yes, do a practice run. Oh, That's yeah. always the safest way. And are you going to get to meet any of our previous guests in person? I have no, I doubt it. This is going to, this is going to be a lot of bare bones beginners because all of Friday is just all about how endurance works and, um, well, we'll How find out pulses and all those attention <laughs> all these years. That's right. I'm going to go. Oh dear, I didn't know it. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask somebody what turtling means because obviously it means going slow, but there's got to be more to it than that. <laughs> <laughs> there's really so not. There's really not. It just means going slow. <laughs> it's like a turtle. <laughs> it's just you're slow and yeah. steady. You know. Uh, I, I sent my money in, so the, the hurricane is getting yeah. here at the right time. Yeah, it'll be through Not next weekend. Okay. Yeah, it'll be through uh, and done. Okay. So I'm very excited. The, the farrier comes out this week to put his shoes back on, and we're going to be ready to roll. Have you been getting to ride? Well, that no, that's a different story. You know, I <laughs> have ridden him twice since Weg. <laughs> it's been very hot and humid here. I mean, that those conditions she was talking about is what it's been like here every day. It's in the 90s and 100 yeah. percent humidity. Wow. Yeah, it's still yes. not cooled off. Yeah. We're definitely on opposite coasts because yeah. <laughs> getting down to yeah. like 30 degrees and freezing oh, no, no. here at night now. We haven't gotten below Fall 70 here. at night. It's been, wow. it's been hot. <laughs> okay. And my horses have winter coats that have grown in. They look like little teddy bears. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Ours, yeah. Scooter got shaved already. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's just too hot to go out and drive him. But it has cooled off. Last couple of days, it's in 90, but the humidity's been less. So that's kind of <laughs> nice. It's like, uh, we'll, I noticed the long term forecast, Karen, we're going to get down to 85 at the end of 10 days. Oh. <laughs> and meanwhile, here we're stacking firewood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
It is so funny because wherever you live, you don't think there's people that have different than you. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yes. You don't realize, it, you know, especially when it comes to their horse care. Yeah. And, and what they're, they're, you know, we're like a little chipmunk stocking up for winter with the hay and the horse feed <laughs> yeah. and the firewood and uh, getting the warm jackets out. And we're going, getting, yes, yeah. winter's coming. It's going to be tolerable again. I wrote in a jacket <laughs> this weekend, actually. Sure. So it, the, whereas the week before we're, we were still wearing tank tops and shorts a lot of the days. So things, it was, things are changing. It was funny because when we went to North Carolina for 15 days, we thought, oh, because it's been so hot. We thought, we're going to bring jackets. It's going to be so nice. We're going to actually see maybe 60, 70 degrees. And then it was like 95 and humid. It looks like here in Florida. We didn't get any break. We never wore a jacket. With this big (laughs) storm coming. (laughs) Yeah, we're hoping that the storm actually, we're hoping that uh, Hurricane Michael, which is, by the way, for everybody watching and wondering if we're going to be off the air again, uh, no, uh, is going further west. So we're just going to get some rain from it. And, you know, 15, 20 mile winds, nothing big. So hopefully we'll still be on the air at the end of the week. But yeah, we're hoping it sucks all the humidity and brings it up north and takes it out of here. That's our our goal. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, what usually happens after hurricanes is it gets more hot and more humid. So we're, we're hoping that doesn't happen this time. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and your website? Um, KarenChatton.com. KarenChatton.com is where you can find it. And as I said earlier, if you want to find any of the past episodes, just go look at HorsesInTheMorning.com. Scroll down, click on Endurance in the middle of the page there, and it'll bring up all the past episodes that we've done over the last five years, probably five or six years. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a lot of episodes. Yes. About endurance. And well, That's a great guess. we'll probably have more news for you about Endurance Gate before we meet again. Maybe the FEI will come out and say something about their report. Who knows? We'll find out. <laughs> There's liable <laughs> to be something going on in the politics of endurance. It seems like it's the most uh, political uh, discipline right now. Right now. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> that'll change. But <clears throat> right now, it's getting a lot of attention. So thank you, everybody. We'll look. For- and Jennifer will have a report on her endurance ride of 12 miles or whatever it is. Um, is it 10, 15, 15? Are you doing baby? This is, I think going to be a, a 10 or 12 or yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, have fun. <laughs> Just remember, have fun. Ride your horse. Wear think, your helmet. I think the Go camping ride. story is probably going to be better than the riding story myself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks everybody. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Jamie be here and we'll be talking horses on horses in the morning.